publishing a book is a victory, but it's not the end. After you sweep up the confetti and wash the champagne flutes, what's next? Authoring Onward is the podcast about those steps after your first publication. Going from published author to having a long-term writing career. And that has no clear endpoints and plenty of ups and downs. But telling stories for the long-term is so, so worth it. Sit back, listen, and together, let's author Onward. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Authoring Onward. I'm your host, author, editor, and book coach, Connie B. Dowell. And today, I am so glad to be back with you um, after a 10-day quarantine, um, because my my daughter, who is in pre-K, was exposed to COVID. Luckily, she did not catch COVID. She tested negative. She's had no symptoms. Um, but that meant her entire pre-K class was closed, and kind of shook up our world for a little over a week. So that is why there was no episode last week, but I am so glad to be back this week. So glad to be back in front of the mic with you guys and glad to be back writing on a regular schedule again. I am still working on my uh, cozy mystery for the mid... (laughs) Mysteries, Midsummer, Sun, and Murders anthology that comes out in June. And my my submission is called Evil on the Eastern Shore, which is going to be fun. I'm going to have um, my bookmobile driver detective, Millie Monroe, going to the Eastern Shore for what she thinks is a a calm, quiet vacation um, on Virginia's picturesque Eastern Shore until a murder occurs. Um, and it's been great fun to plan that. And it's fun to to be back into my regular schedule of diving into that world again. So in, um, in some other updates, I am now on TikTok, finally. <laughs> I feel like the last person to that party. I have all of three videos up, hopefully a fourth one coming today. Um, So you can look for me there. I will link to that in the show notes if you would like to come and look at TikToks. And if you'd like to follow me, I will probably follow you back because I know almost nobody on TikTok. Um, So that's fun to get started. Um, I did try at first, um, for those who might be wondering about how I'm using this as a marketing tool, I tried to separate out the way I've separated um, my Facebook pages for both this podcast and other um, author-focused things. I have one page and then I have a separate page where I'm marketing my mystery books. Um, I initially thought I would do that with TikTok as well. And I set up two separate accounts and almost immediately realized there is no way I'm going to be able to keep up with two separate accounts. So just going to go with one for now don't know if that's the best strategy, but it is a strategy that feels workable, that feels sustainable, going back to 2022's word of the year. So that's definitely something to consider if you have two rather different markets, as to whether you feel up to maintaining two different TikTok accounts. I'm still doing that for Facebook, because Facebook um, 
those interactions, those follows, they affect your advertising. So that makes a whole lot more sense for Facebook to keep it separate than for other types of social media. So on to today's topic. Well, actually, before we jump to today's topic, I have almost forgot like the biggest announcement that I have for y'all. And I will remind you at the end of the episode is that I have an upcoming um, free workshop link to that in the show notes is coming up on March the 3rd. And yes, there will be a replay if you're not able to make the workshop. Um, So you will get that replay if you sign up. And it's going to be about some of the biggest mistakes that I see as a freelance editor and folks who are looking to self-publish for the first time so that you guys can learn about them and avoid those mistakes and, you know, take your books to that next level so that you are not caught at that first hurdle. You are already ready to jump over it and go to the next one. And speaking of some of the biggest mistakes that I do see make, um, that leads us into today's topic. And that is when people kind of make their decisions about their marketing or the genre placement or even sometimes the content of their books based on what household name authors are doing. So here's how that works out in their marketing and presentation of their books. Um, So let's look at book covers first. And I see this a lot. Somebody um, who likes this one kind of book cover that they've seen some really famous author use, or they've designed something themselves, and, you know, it doesn't quite look like their genre. And when someone points that out, they say, well, but X person, has a cover like that. And they're really famous, so it must be really good. And the trouble with that is, when you're talking about someone who is a household name, when we're talking about, you know, say a Stephen King, his name sells the book, like the cover could be terrible, the cover could be completely off genre. Um, Even if it's pretty, you know, it might be off genre, it could be completely off genre. And his name would still sell the book. People would still buy it because it's a Stephen King book. Um, so he, his covers don't have to work as hard. And so when you're doing that, when you're talking about someone who's a household name or even a bit lower than that, if you're looking at the top of the chart, charts in your genre, that's still probably not the best place to look for cover inspiration because those big names, those big promoted books the name sells the book. The other aspects of promotion are selling the book. Um, Instead, you know, because you're not a household name yet, in order to get people who read your genre to pick up your book, you want to look like it belongs in the pack. So look for like those mid-list sellers. Um, Make it look like it would sit alongside one of those books. And Here's how this plays out in book descriptions. And even mid-list authors get a pass on this um, as well. So the book descriptions, you know, again, they can be really, really boring and bland. They can be, you know, terrible pieces of copywriting. 
Um, if there's a household name attached to it, it doesn't matter. Um, the name sells the book. But for midlist authors with traditional publishers, if they've got a big enough marketing team, again, those book descriptions, you know, for I see from a lot of traditional publishing houses for books that are selling really well, um, are actually really not the best piece of copy. Um, and that's because all this other hype that they've built is what's selling the book. Um, for midlist authors, they probably have a cover that, that catches their eye, but sits in the pack. Um, and they've done lots and lots of other promotional work. And that's what's building the buzz for the book, um, more so than the description. The description can be a bit lackluster and that's okay. It's not doing the same heavy lifting that um, for independent authors that they need their descriptions to do. And so to get a good understanding of what makes a quality book description, um, I would look to, I've had a, you know, a past episode with Brian Meeks talking about book descriptions. Um, uh, Brian Cohen also has a, a good short ebook about writing a book description. Um, but you can also just, you can workshop book descriptions in indie author groups on Facebook. Um, if you are getting your book edited, a lot of editors, myself included, will look at book descriptions and, and kind of critique that for you. You can get, you know, you can just look at book descriptions from those mid-list indie authors in your genre and see what's included, read a number of them, get a feel for it, and then try to rewrite your own. So that's how this, this kind of mistake plays out in presentation of books for by independent authors. But here's how it can play out in content and genre. And this is a place where whether, whether the author is intending to self-publish or intending to publish traditionally, they can still kind of fall into this if they're new to the game. Um, is that people will pick old-fashioned ideas um, and write their book in an old-fashioned way, a way that tells me as an editor um, that they've not been reading currently in that genre. Um, they'll, they'll say, I'll point something out and they'll say, oh, but Charles Dickens did that. And I'm thinking, yes, he did uh, 150 years ago. And styles and what's been expected in fiction and particularly how, what is expected within certain genres changes pretty dramatically. So you want to read a lot in your genre and read recent books in your genre. We're not, and I'm not talking like recent, like 50 years ago, recent, like in the last five years, try to keep up with what's going on currently. Um, I see a lot of this with, so like overly florid description, um, or what would be referred to as info dumping now, like just too much information all at once, um, or even lots and lots of like lots of folks gravitate toward an omniscient narrator and an omniscient narrator is difficult to do to begin with but it's also really fallen out of favor a lot for 
commercial books nowadays. Um, it's almost always literary, which is cool if you want to be literary. But if that's not what you're going for, then you need to start reading those books in your genre. Um, and if literary is what you're going for, remember that literary fiction is itself a genre. So read it and read recent literary books. I also find this issue especially prevalent in new writers of children's books, um, particularly picture books, because a lot of folks come to want to write a picture book after they've, you know, first have kids or after they have first have grandkids. But they're basing what a picture book is, the length, the content, um, the style on their memories of picture books from decades ago or from the classic picture books that they're sharing with their children. But that's not necessarily what's being published nowadays. Um, it has changed a lot. Picture books have gotten a lot shorter and I often see a lot of first time picture book writers with say a 2000 word manuscript and then they're surprised to find that you really want to keep that much, much, much shorter. Um, sweet spot nowadays, you're, you're aiming for around 500, 600 words. So with some exceptions, picture book um, biographies, nonfiction picture books are much longer. But a lot of what they're trying to do are the books that nowadays are very short, 500 words. Um, but they haven't been reading those books. And so if what you, if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I really want to write a picture book. How do I know if I'm not doing it right? Well, head down to your local library um, and start reading some recent picture books. Uh, if you're not, you can find lists of recent releases, um, lists of recent award winners, and you can check those out and you can really, read a ton of picture books in an afternoon. You can read blogs about writing picture books. You can read books about writing picture books, um, things that have been published recently to get you a sense of what the market is looking for nowadays. So that is really the, the crux of it. Don't face um, your decisions about, you know, trying to read for a particular genre, trying to reach a particular market based on what household names are doing because household names, they get a pass and classics are no longer current. They're great, but they're not what people are looking for in what's new. So that is it for this week. Um, and just as a reminder, if you would like to look for some more kind of basic mistakes that new self-publishers make, new self-publishing authors make, um, head on over to the show notes and register for the webinar on March the 3rd. And if you aren't able to make it at that time, you can still register and you will get the replay link in your email after the webinar. Until next week, happy writing. Mm -hmm.